Blog Talk Radio. tonight. This has been one where he's been chopping at the bit for a while. You know, when we talked about Rocky, it was a lot of respect and fun, and we never really got to where the series really falls off the rails. So, you know, you got you got a lot of positivity from Sean and I. And then, you know, we talked about Spider-Man, and we had an interesting debate. You know, I, I, I of course, defended Spider-Man 3. Sean said, I don't know if I want to do this podcast anymore. So, you know, it was it was an interesting debate with, with, with one Jeffrey Harris there. But this you're finally going to get the full-on, hardcore, I'm a Paul Heyman guy <laughs> effect of the long road through. And here, this is where we get to celebrate the schlock. This is where we get to throw rotten tomatoes at hot garbage. This is where we finally start to trash movie franchises that have completely gone off the rails. Are you excited for this, my friend? Folks, let me get something clear right now, since I know that I have some friends who listen to the show who have a bit of a sensitivity for profanity. Um, This is going to include adult language and adult themes. In other words, I'm going to be saying fuck a lot. (laughs) Starting with Toby, you blank-faced fuck. You thought cursing me with food poisoning was going to get me off your ass? Come and get it, son. I have been right. waiting two years for this. I am not waiting another another moment. You fucked over a franchise I love, you fucking fucks. Now, you, you hear Sean, you hear how serious he is about this, and, and, and I'm here to play traffic cop, essentially, but there's a man that needs to be on this podcast right now. I'm going to introduce him to you. He was on our last show. This is a man who's going to keep us in line, keep us on a straight and narrow, make sure we don't uh, become all weirdos about it. Here he is, folks, Sam the Eagle, Mr. Robert Winfrey. How you doing, sir? It's a bit too late. You guys are already pretty weird. I'm not <laughs> sure. This is maybe damage control is the best I can manage. That was an awesome comic back in the day. Remember that? Marvel, uh, Marvel Comics Damage Control. I do, mm-hmm. vaguely. 
good stuff. All right, but we're not here to talk about comic books tonight. We're here to talk about the hot but yet creepy Katie Featherstone. No, um, <laughs> I can't look at her the same way because she's not a bad-looking chick. But I'm sorry, you know, when, when she's just staring, when you know at the beginning at the beginning of uh, I think it's four, and they go back to um, part two, yeah, and she's got the she got the kid in her lap and they're out by the pool. Yeah. It's like, I can't help it. Like, you are both hot and creepy at the same time. It's a good thing I'm married because you might be wife number three. I, I would not kick her out of bed for breaking necks and stealing babies. That's what I'm talking about. Robert, what do you think? You're right. That's a, that's an odd combination she kind of pulls off there. And she does it again in number four, a bit further along, which is something I take serious issue with as far as four goes. But you know what? We'll get to that when we get to it. All right, let's let's get serious here for a moment. So, Paranormal Activity three and four—that's what we're going to discuss tonight, folks. And a little bit different format from our usual, uh, where we're not going to necessarily go linear. Like, here's here's a discussion of three, here's a discussion of four. Um, there's enough similarity and yet dissimilarity between these two movies where I feel like a long discussion of all of their elements is due, as opposed to talking about them as individual movies. Let me start off with what I think is one of the obvious things about paranormal activity, and I, I want to get your reactions to this in turn. This is a movie that essentially is a gimmick. Okay, paranormal activity, the, the, the franchise, or the, the very first movie, paranormal, paranormal activity, is essentially a movie about a gimmick, and the gimmick is uh, found footage, stationary cam. Uh, slowly building from this one angle. Okay, we all we talked about that in the first podcast, if you catch my drift. And then they expanded on it in the second one. Now, what was brilliant about the first two movies, in my opinion, is that, again, you start with this sort of static camera angle, and then you break with um, them moving the camera around. But ultimately, the, the, the crux of this thing is that one-bedroom angle with the camera. Um. They go and this movie is now so popular and it, it's so successful. They go and they do a sequel like you do in Hollywood, and they go bigger and better. And the thing that made two for me work was that it was supposed to be uh, security cameras, so it was more interesting. It was bigger. It was more interesting. Um, they could do more with it. They could expand the story. They could expand uh, more of the elements of this, and that was great. And and I was not bored with that. Where well, am I going with this? Goddamn sense. Why would they? Why they would be filming everything? The shots actually made sense. Right, right, right. And that's where I was going with this. My biggest problem with the next two movies and three is the absolute worst offender of this. Is if you don't have a new way of doing the gimmick that's interesting, if you repeat the same gimmick over and over and over again. In my opinion, and maybe you guys feel differently about this, you bore the fuck out of the audience. And that was why I actually hated 3 more than 4. And you guys can, can agree or disagree about that, but at oh, least, I will. <laughs> at least yeah. 4 was interesting as far as the use of the cameras. Now, the setup to it is just as ridiculous as, as the third movie, but... We can talk about why this family has a thing, for, why the people in these movies and the family have a thing for boyfriends who want to film shit, but we'll get there. It, it, at least in 4, they were doing things with the computer and the Xbox, and they found a way to tweak the gimmick enough to keep the, the, the aesthetics interesting. 
could someone explain to me the purpose of three, where they do they they literally rehash the boyfriend wanting to film everything, except that it's twenty years earlier, and they're usually and they're using old VHS cameras. Am I oh, wrong in thinking this is boring as shit? Go ahead, Robert. Uh, you know, you're not wrong as far as the setup goes. Um, I will disagree with you about three and four, which one is worse, because I thought three had some fun moments to it, whereas four, I just. Ugh. Okay, uh, in terms of aesthetics, I thought Hang 4 on. was better. I'm not necessarily saying the story was better. I'm saying in terms of aesthetics and the use of the gimmick. I think, yeah, by yeah. and large, that's fairly accurate. I mean, 3, you know, 3 had some fun stuff with... They had some interesting elements to it, but, you know, the elements alone were few and far between and couldn't hold together a whole movie. I actually liked the... Uh, oscillating camera they introduced in the third one about a third of the way through it. I liked that because it was a great way to introduce, from a static shot, more or less, the moving camera that can establish tension from one sequence to the other, whereas before you just had the one shot. And It wasn't the worst idea in the world, and I think there were a couple of times when they used that to decent effect, and other times it was just patently obvious, we just need to make a wider shot. And we're going to do it this way because, I mean... It had some good moments to it. As for, you know, he sees dust falling on a figure in a video, which I actually thought was pretty cool as far as that oh, was something yeah. they hadn't yeah. done before. And then now, oh, I need to film everything in the house because weird stuff. No, sorry, I don't believe you. <laughs> I actually wanted, let me get this clear about three. I went into that movie kind of wanting to like the Dennis character. I really did because... You know, again, you have the weird boyfriend who likes to record stuff that seems to go on through all of these movies. But, but at the beginning, it seems like you know he's not a complete douchebag, which is a step no, but up. You know what? In this movie actually makes sense at least that he wants to. In this movie, the boyfriend is not the problem. In this movie, no, it's no, like plot waffle. <laughs> it is the yeah, it is the girl, and yeah, there's all that. You know, I get I. He was the first time I think we had a, a male character in the franchise that wasn't completely and wholly unlikable. First or oblivious to what was happening. You know what? And the odd thing is, I saw these all kind of close together. I rewatched three and four, and the boyfriend in three, for some reason to me, looks a lot like Mika. I know it's not the same actor, but they have a lot of facially she similar does, features. Does, it looked like does yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because that's where I was like, why are, and this is why I have such an issue with three. I was like, okay, you've already done one. Three, three to me seems like a rehash of one, only it's much more cockamamie. And and for that reason, and for that, that's one of the reasons is again with the same boyfriend. They almost look alike. It was as if is this the writer says, look, American audiences are really stupid. So we want to. It's not the same actor. It's just they just, but they look so much alike. I actually had to. When I was rewatching three, I had I went wait a minute that really looks like him. so I had to double check and no it's not the same actor they just look a lot alike which was this is like turning the Back to the Future yeah it was oddly disconcerting for the rest because like well wait a minute are we going with some weird like yeah it, it just didn't quite track it, it was a distraction in a lot of ways for me I think just because you know the first two were so in many ways detail oriented. It was little mm-hmm. things that you had to pay attention to that made sense. Like in the second one, the when they locked when uh, somebody was locked in the basement, they had scratched on the 
basement door, and in there was uh, the Latin word for mine, meus. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but they never explained that in the movie. It's one of those things that you pay attention to and you realize it, and you think, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, those, the first two were movies that, like, encouraged you to know things and to pay attention, and the third one just seemed to, like, penalize you for that because there was nothing really going on. <laughs> it penalized you that it ignored everything that the first two movies set up. Well, let's true. continue on with that thought, Sean. I want I want to let you in here because um, I know this was one of your big problems. Is that is that three complete three and and then well, four is I think an even worse offender of this. But three starts to completely derail the continuity that the movies that the first two movies set up. So I'm going to hand the the floor over to you so that you can expound upon that. Guys. Get settled in, because my list of problems with this, for those of you who are familiar with my hatred for this fucking movie, it's a long one. But you know what? Since you started with the camera angle, Mark, I'm going to start with talking about the camera angles. I actually like the oscillating camera. I like it because it sets up a couple of kind of interesting scares and one very irritating fake-out scare. Yeah, I I agree with you there, but thank goodness we agree. We agree a lot more than I thought we would actually on a lot of the little things as far as this right. goes, Sean. So I'm gr- I'm glad I'm not the only one. Well, but but that's that's not the only problem that I have with the movie technically as far as how it's shot. Some of the static cam shots I'm actually fine with. The long shot of the bedroom that is used for some particularly effective scares. We're going to get in a minute to what happened to the ones that should have been in the movie. Spoiler alert, chances are you've probably already seen them. No, actually, my bigger problem with this one, and I'm going to note that this was the movie where Oren Pelly was no longer the guy where the buck stopped creatively. They had people who wrote and worked on the previous movies, now pretty much helming three and four. Problem the first. This is where we start seeing the problems where we are forced to ask why in every flavor of wonderful fuck are you filming this? And it's not (laughs) even like it's being pointed out by characters. Why are you filming this? Just randomly. uh, the, the, The best one I can point out, the best example of this, and this is just one of many, believe me, this is not my only shot where I have this quibble, is you have this shot where after boyfriend and fuckwit single mom girlfriend are in separate rooms of the house, boyfriend is downstairs editing together a wedding video because he's a commercial videographer. Fuckwit girlfriend is upstairs sleeping. And yet, we have a camera, for some reason, on, on Boyfriend, who's editing together the wedding video. Why are you taping yourself editing? <laughs> it, it's so true. No, they don't... no. And you know what? Actually, no. I stand corrected. My problem goes back even before that. There is no reason... This movie, continuity-wise, should even bloody exist. Because, you know, in the other movies, you had those disclaimers. Thanks to the Carlsbad Police Department for their cooperation in this movie. 
Thank you to the San Diego Police Department for their cooperation in this movie. I hope I got the cities right. I believe and, and so you kind of get the idea, okay, somebody... This is act- an investigation, and you're watching this footage so that you can understand uh, what happened here. I, 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 I want you to finish your point, but I know where you're going with this because I, there's something I want, I want to add to that. Yeah, because, this, because and this is a problem that you have from the very beginning of the movie, and I fucking noticed it. Because it's both a continuity error, and it completely creates a gigantic plot hole. Number one, in the first two movies, we have some idea who put the damn thing together. Who actually edited it together in this kind of documentary. This is a movie that just exists because it exists. But in addition to that, right at the very beginning of the damn movie, you actually have the scene that completely contradicts the second movie. But they say, okay... Houses ransacked, they didn't take anything. Well, in this movie, all of a sudden, same incident, and you've got somebody saying, oh, they just took some big box of home videos from from the basement. Okay, you know what? You would have actually been better off, fuck fuck, if you would have actually set that up in the second movie, because in the third might have made sense. Although you would have still had to explain why they stole the videotapes, but since the tapes are stolen and nobody supposedly knows where they are, who put this goddamn festering fuck pile together? Well, that's what I mean. They made Tommy is no longer a demon. He's a pervert. He's a pervert with a video editing machine. That's the only thing I can think of. Basically, Toby somehow has gotten his his non-corporeal mitts on Final Cut Pro. (laughs) And he just decided... And he just decided, he's a movie maker now. <laughs> you know, I, well, that, that's probably what happened here. Is I'm sure he was sitting, you know, he's sitting in his demon lair, going, initially I just wanted the firstborn son of this child because that's what they owe me for whatever success this family had. But now I want to get into pictures. I want to get into the talkies. I, you know what? I, I guess. And you know what, as we're going to talk about later in the show, there was another movie series where at least the sequel managed to make some sense of that concept, even for as bad as that fucking sequel was. But this well, is a movie... I, I want to I stop you there, Sean. That was actually... You know, I, I have to say, what makes the one of the thing, the elements that makes the first movie work very well is that it really draws you into the concept and the gimmick. Okay, yeah. I felt like I, it was like the very first time I saw the Blair Witch Project. Just to go back to that again, it felt like I was watching found footage. The pro and and the second one again makes sense because these are security cameras, and so like I work in a jail and they have security cameras in the jail, and we can go back and we can watch footage. Okay, that all makes sense to me. At what point was anyone watching any of these videotapes? And and, then well, that, and and it's like a small thing, and you're like, oh, rattle, you're nitpicking. But I believe it, it or took not, me out of the movie. Actually, they actually no, reference no, that no. in the movie, and it is one of the dumbest things I have ever heard. Go ahead, because Robert. Because he's down there. The guy, the boyfriend Dennis, is down there with his little like comp- with his you know business partner, or whatever that obnoxious douchebag teenager. Oh God, who, that shack sounding fuck. Yeah, and you know what? I will give him that character credit because he knew when to get the hell out. <laughs> I will give he him that. He made him the smartest guy in any of these movies. Absolutely, in that way. But he was. But he's down crazy. there and he's talking with him, and he says, "So what's up with this? You know, do you actually watch these movie, these videos, and whatnot?" And the guy goes, "Yeah." And wait a minute. You know, what do you do? So yeah, there's like six hours of footage on four different cameras. How many hours are in a day again? I mean, they actually point it out. This. This 
dumb nut character points out to the theoretical, to the you know hero quote unquote of this that yeah, there's not actually enough time in the day for you to watch all of this footage, even on right? fast forward, and it's just. It, it's just, it, you know, you have a problem with how this is set up. One of your characters mentions it, and the other character blows him off. I mean, but you know, what the let's, heck? Uh, let, let, let's give let's give Toby some props for being a considerate narrator because he even managed to edit in the little time and date stamps that are in the first <laughs> movie, little blocky, brief white ones that tell you where exactly in the damn movie you are, where you are along this along this process. So it was very generous you. of him to actually provide a timeline when, I mean, if I were doing this and I was a demon bent on destruction. Uh, hang on, guys. You, you, sorry, you sorry. can't talk over each other because then you sorry, sound sorry. like Sorry, sorry. I'll be quiet. Let him finish. Go ahead, Sean. Well, but, but getting away from that for a second, I'm going to give this movie a modicum of credit here and there. It does have some good scares. The dust on the figure that is one of the best moments in any of the movies up to that point. Absolutely. That was actually well done. I liked that. Um, later on in the movie, there is a scare in which Katie is running along playing with Christy, and Katie runs flush into Toby. And Toby, in a moment that actually made me kind of laugh, even for how awesome it is, just <laughs> lifts Katie up by the hair. It just dangles for there. Well, that, that's actually a, a good um, transition point to talk about this, and it, and it kind of fits into the bigger discussion here. Um, Sean, you mentioned it in the first podcast, and, and I, and I want to talk about this now uh, in addition to the, the camera angle stuff, and that is Tell me you for, a, for a found footage movie to work, you have to believe the footage is actually found. If, it, if, you're, if you get to a point where you're asking yourself, as the audience member, why would you be filming this? What, what, at, at what point, when the monster is chasing you, why are you still carrying the camera? No human being does this. And so, here, so here's a really great example of that. And, you know, and maybe Final you guys, <laughs> and maybe you guys uh, disagree. But I mean, if you have if you have a child running into an invisible being, and then the b- invisible being levitates her off the ground, at that point, what? what, what someone needs to do something, and it doesn't involve continuing to film. Actually, hang on. I will defend that part of that because that was a static camera. He had a camera statically set up in the girl's bedroom, which is freaky enough in and of itself that he has a camera in the room of little girls, but there was no one actually holding that camera when it happened. <laughs> Fair enough. But, no, I mean, but you actually, get my for me, Okay, for me, that sequence where she runs into Toby was very effective. Having him grab her by the hair and the way they did that kind of killed it for me, personally, <laughs> because... You had this moment of, I'm just chasing my little sister around, ha-ha, whack. And she act, the, the child actress there actually looks scared to death. So I'm yeah. part of that, though, she, was, yeah. she actually mugs the camera. She just looks right at it like, help. <laughs> yeah, that was know, a very wily Coyote moment for me. I, I liked that. And then he grabs her by the hair, and it, the, the stunt with her being levitated and the way the hair looked, it, it kind of killed the moment for me because it's like, yeah, you pretty obviously CGI'd that. I want to link this now to the fourth movie, where again, and it's and and for the most part of it, because of the way they set it up, I was okay with it because it plays a lot off of the multiple camera angles from two. Hey, uh, Mark, 
Yeah. Before we do that, can I address just this one thing? Sure, go ahead. Folks, if you are out there and you have ever seen, because I never have, I have never tracked it down, if you have ever seen the unrated cut that came out on DVD or Blu-ray of Paranormal Activity 3, by all means, feel free to elaborate on what I'm about to say here. This is one of the most horrible bait and switches between marketing and movie that has ever been constructed. We've all seen trailers that maybe contain a moment or a shot or a scene or a line of dialogue that conspicuously was not in the movie we saw in theaters. Almost nothing that was in the trailers, that was in the TV spots, was in the damn movie. There were actually better scares in the trailers. There's one that is left completely out. Um, moment where one of them, I, I forget whether it was twat face girlfriend or fairly sympathetic boyfriend, is having a little tea party with Christy or painting or something or other, and they're doing the whole... Toby's real. No, Toby's not real. And to oh my god, I remember that one. Yeah, it's actually it, it's Christy. She, the whole scene, it's uh, the mom sitting down with Christy and she's painting. And in the movie, the sequence is just oh, Toby's right there, and it's oh, yes. he's right there. And but yeah, it, I know what you mean because in the trailer, they actually like throw paint on him and it sticks to his body and everyone freaks out. Yes. And that yes. would have been beautiful. That would have been glorious. And instead, we get oh. nothing like that. But but not only that. The Bloody Mary scene, the one that was featured in the very first teaser for this movie. Was different, yeah. Completely different. It's more over the top. It features that Matthew Lillard, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo sounding fuck. Instead of the two girls, it lacks the subtlety. It lacks the timing. Oh, gee, you know what else we're apparently missing? <laughs> a scene that explains the aforementioned fire at the family home that is just completely forgotten in this movie. Yeah. It, it's... And again, I don't know if all this stuff is in the unrated version because, unfortunately, I've never actually... I've always meant to, but I've never taken the time to sit down and actually watch it. But let me just say this. I know for a fact that Oren Pelly tried to defend this in an interview, saying, oh, well, uh, we were writing and editing together the movie as we were shooting it, so, you know, you can't expect everything that we shot and showed in trailers to be in the movie. Wait... So you really pretty much had literally had no idea what you were doing the entire time, and you were just making it up as you went. Apparently they went with the South Park method of no, uh, doing things. Phase, phase one, create a horror movie. Phase three, profit. Yeah, but you know what? But if you shot this stuff, you you swindling little, little fucking greasy butt crack poo flap, if you actually shot this stuff, knowing that you were going to set it aside and you were only going to include it so you could advertise it in the unrated cut, you are no better than the video game makers who create entire levels, entire missions, entire characters that are done when the game is supposed to hit shelves, but you specifically hold it back so you can nickel and dime people out of more, out of more money. I hope to God that's not the case. <laughs> um, I'm with you there. Oh, you know what? 
for me, the biggest flaw in I'll go ahead and throw the fourth one in here too is the final sequence as far as three goes. Because that's where I was going with this. By again, the way, again, you I, get the ahead. guy who is now running for his life, still carrying the camera, providing right. these odd shots like through the window where the I, I, I'm scared to death and the dead body of my girlfriend was just hurled down the stairs at me. I'm still going to carry the camera and look out the window and see the coven of witches approaching. And, it's and actually, I'm going to let you all see it, so you all now know what's going uh, I, I hate that, because it is beyond... A, you know, over, and overall, it's not a bad concept for an ending. It's, it's actually pretty well done. It's just the... And you know what? That's the whole thing that amazes me about these two movies, is this is a, an entire concept, much like a hooker in Grand Theft Auto, should be pretty easy to execute. <laughs> That's the problem, Sean. I mean, like I said, this, these movies don't work if, if you're so completely taken out of the narrative that you know you're laughing at it now. And that's why I started this discussion with: if at some point you're asking yourself why are we filming this, you're done. You need to pull back. That whole ending sequence of the fourth one. Well, I'll tell you what: you shoot that from a third-person narrative where the person isn't actually involved in the scene, you're just shooting a movie, you're just shooting a horror movie where a young girl is now overtaken by a coven of witches. Fantastic. Great. Wonderful. Works in zombie movies every time. To have an entity, to have a character there with the camera, come on, I mean, nobody reacts that way. And, and, and look, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm willing to James Bond, I'm willing to, uh, to, to put off my, my believability in a movie, I know I just completely massacred that phrase, but you know, go with me here. Uh, suspend my disbelief. There we go. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief only so much, but when you're not even uh, logical within your own universe, then that's it. Now, now I'm essentially watching, you know, somebody doing a parody of a snuff film. That's what that felt like to me. And, and like I said, while I enjoyed the camera work in the fourth one, I like what they did with the Xbox Connect. And if you haven't seen this, it's actually pretty funny. They do oh, the, uh, you know. Uh, they, they I was like actually the, a little bit sad about that because I thought they could have done so much more with it than what they did. Right. The whole setup was actually. The setup is pretty cool for that, but they don't do anything with it. Which no, annoys the I, and like I said, at this point, I'm just talking aesthetics. We're gonna we're gonna change gears momentarily and start talking about plot, which is why I wanted Sean to talk more about the continuity issues. But um, just well, to I put will. This, I will. <laughs> but just yeah, to put the discussion of aesthetics aside, the fourth one, I I felt like I said delivered better with the aesthetics. You're right; they didn't do enough with the Xbox Connect. Um, they just kind of showed you here. Here's an interesting take on the gimmick. And that, to me, was successful, as opposed to the third one, which was which I, I, you guys like the oscillating uh, camera, and that's fine. They did some interesting okay. things with it, but I feel like you know they're going to do a fifth one, and God help them if they do if they if they stick with this family, this ridiculous family with the, with the weird boyfriend to so tape everything. If they don't do, they don't find a way to reinvent the gimmick to make it interesting. I don't know how people are going to sit through this unless they're high. So. Let, let's talk about now plot and continuity issues. Sean, I'm just going to kind of give you the canvas here and let you paint. Talk a little bit more about some of your issues here on on why you have such problems with 3 and 4 in terms of um, how cockamamie the plots turned out to be. In part because it's not completely clear to me that anybody who wrote Paranormal Activity 3 
actually even watched Paranormal Activity 2. It was like they skimmed a Wikipedia article, and badly, I might add. <laughs> um, yeah, th- there you go. It's like an illiterate person skimmed a Wikipedia article and gleaned something that vaguely sounded like Paranormal Activity. Right from the get-go, you are utterly just contradicting. It's a visual medium. Don't leave anything up to chance. Okay, if you didn't write your story tight enough in the first one, don't expect us to just get away with assumption in the third one because it doesn't make sense, and it, all it demonstrates is that you had a chance to write something tighter and you blew it. So be specific in the 50 words or less. Tell us what you're talking about. Okay, well, first there's the videotape thing. Then you also have the fact that in two you have this conversation between Christy and Katie in which they're talking about what went on when they were kids, and they were talking about... Katie being the one who, being the one who was haunted all, he was uh, remind me who was it? Christy or Katie? They said it was haunted all the time. They said they actually did say it was Katie in that it was the two of them and it was okay. They, it was it was vaguely both. It, the problem I think with this and what you kind of touch on here is they just skimmed it. They didn't bother to pay attention to it because you could have gotten away with. I mean, either of them being the haunted one, really, but to just so blatantly focus on Christy when, right? In the, when in the second one, your setup had been a bit more ambivalent, and had been mm-hmm. a bit more Katie's the one who remembers things. So logically, more stuff would have happened to her because she's, and I know she was older too. But if well, you're the one being haunted, you tend to, to have a bit more memory. Almost nothing happens to Katie though until about the last fourth of the movie and they talk about I agree. oh I, I remember mom crying all the time no your mother was the bitch who didn't believe anything was really going was really going on and was Not basically she seemed awfully happy who was a true believer so well, I was, no. was going to say I, and I would and I would tell you that she seemed awfully happy I mean until things started to really go south in the third movie she seems fine got a boyfriend she likes, you know, they, they apparently have a wonderful sex life. You know, yeah. she, she, so, like, this is not, this is, <laughs> this is not the scene from Star Wars where, like, well, you know, do, what do you remember about your mother, Leia? Oh, she was very, very sad. No, that, that, there's nothing like that here. No, that, no, you're thinking of dead, Leia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, and then, again, this whole house fire is supposed to be a recurring element of this whole story. And again, show, don't tell, okay? Address the damn fire, because at this point, it looks like you pretty much completely ignored it. it yeah, you don't like, ever see it in the second movie, uh, the third movie, from what I recall. They don't nope. show you, it's in, like every, it's in like every article I ever read about this. It's in apparently other versions of the movie, but in the theatrical version, there is no house fire. And you know what? Yeah, you know what? I see what you did there, movie. I see how you wrote in the whole, oh, the kids apparently have their memories blank, so they don't remember anything. No, in other words, you realize, you realize that you bent the pooch over the couch and <laughs> gave it to it hard and fast for about 90 minutes. And well, that's, you were that's why I looking said at the for beginning of it. When the wife walked in. This, this, movie is written like, this movie is written like modern pro wrestling. It just assumes the audience is either dumb or doesn't care. I, I can no, only imagine a pitch meeting for this thing going, look, let's throw 90 minutes worth of, uh, uh, of boo scares in there, you know, and uh, a demon face here and a Bloody Mary there, and, you know, and people will love it, and they're not going to, you know, and three guys in a few years from now are not going to sit here and dissect this piece of shit. 
Did, did, did you guys just, did you happen to just watch every M. Night Shyamalan movie from Signs on, onward and in honor of the great Venture Brothers just accept that dare to make less sense? That was, <laughs> that was, did you think, no, no, I really believe we could make something with more plot holes. What, what hey, drives me crazy like about this? What, what drives me crazy about this, I'm going to go to Robert in just a second for his take, but you know, you're talking about all these plot continuity, continuity issues, and they really screw this family up, and they get very, very convoluted. But I'll tell you what, the fourth movie makes the, makes the incongruent plot problems in three look like a, like a straight line. I mean, the, the stuff they start talking about in four... I was by the end of it. I was like, I don't even understand what the point of any of this is. If you've established now that this family, someone in this family, made a deal with the devil, they became successful, and in due payment, they got to give the firstborn son. And now the demons pissed because there's no son to be had. Well, finally, there is one. Katie, who apparently gets possessed quite often, uh, <laughs> just as an ongoing yeah. thing, she's possessed. She's not possessed. She, and she's a total, well, she's a total demon slut. She's asking for it all the time. Exactly, with them, you know, with that tank top and shorts she sleeps in. Now listen, you know, she so she steals the baby at the end of the second movie, and we're all quite frankly horrified. And then by the time you get, to, then, then they go back in time, so forget that. But then they go to the fourth one, and it was as if they didn't watch the the end of the second movie. They just started inventing shit. Oh you know, my god! I that has to be one of know? the biggest issues I had with the fourth one throughout the whole thing because okay. Demon Katie moves in across the street. Not quite sure why, but okay, let's say for whatever, you know, I'm willing to kind of go a little bit still on faith here. Okay. Well, the Demon Katie moves in across the street with a kid. Okay. Uh, this little kid is now Robbie, and he's always scared because he's being raised by Demon Katie. Okay. Or, or, as, I, or, I, or as I call him, Baby Dwight. Because the entire movie, from everything from his line delivery to the way he looks, just made me think that this is how Dwight Schrute would look as a child. It, that's very fair. Then, okay, now, then the kid that is the little brother of the girl and her boyfriend who's taping all of this, uh, Wyatt, is apparently Hunter. Which just confused the hell out of me. I, okay, end of the second movie, Demon Katie, Demon gets the baby. Horrifying, not good, objectively very good for the ending of a horror movie. Did Demon Katie then walk down to the local orphanage and drop him off on the doorstep so he could be adopted by this other family? I mean, what the hell? I want to know, did, did, she, did she come to her senses, realize what, what had happened, and then do it? And, D, and, and Toby's going, you dumb bitch, you come bring that baby get, well, back you, here. You, I don't understand. About that. Where'd she get Robbie then? Did she just abduct another child <laughs> along the way because I need a kid who's now going to... It, it doesn't make any degree of sense. <laughs> she found you know a crack baby in Alabama. She, she was like, she, hey, she, you don't appear to be doing anything. She she goes to all this trouble to go and steal this baby, and then and then what? You stopped to get a latte, and you just left him sitting in. <laughs> I know it's so it's beyond stupid. If what can't have nice sacrificial babies. Let let me let me say this. Back when the second Matrix movie came out, in between Matrix 2 and Matrix 3, uh, a bunch of friends of mine, we went to Disney. And I remember, this the reason why I'm setting up the story that way, we spent um, an enormous amount of time discussing the end of the, the Matrix movie, where Neo was and what, what caused what happened at the end of 2 to happen and all of this stuff. 
And uh, we kept coming up with really, really interesting ideas for how 3 was going to go and what really happened to Neo. And then, uh, and then we saw The Matrix 3, which one day we'll do on this show, and it was a, it was a piece of garbage. But <laughs> we were like, wow, everything we talked about while waiting to get on the ride at Epcot, much better than anything they did in this movie. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm telling you that, like, that's what that, that's what that this, that's what this reminds me of. It's like okay, in two she takes off with the baby, and you're like, oh well, what does she do with him? What a horrifying thing! They could have. There's a lot of directions they could have gone with with what happens to this child and this woman, this demon, and in four they were just like, sure we could we could pick up where that leaves off, but fuck it, let's just reinvent a new story. We'll throw these characters in. It won't connect in any way, shape, or form, but this, this blonde girl's pretty cool, and we'll throw her off the bed and see what happens. You know, there was... It's, let it's me just point out how... Obvious, go ahead, Robert. Hang on. Go, go ahead, Robert. Let me just point out how obviously better you could have made this movie as far as plot goes. Little kid across the street that is now living with Demon Katie on though apparently he spends time with the neighbors who have, who he's never met because something happens to Katie, and that whole confounded thing, which made very little sense. That should have been Hunter. Flat out, end of discussion, yep. that's Hunter. This other little kid who could still be adopted, who lives with odd blonde girl, could just be another one they had to collect now that she's got, now that there's Toby in Katie's body. And all of a sudden, ta-da, it makes infinitely more sense than, no, he was adopted, no, he's really hungry, wait, where did this kid come from, why doesn't any of this make sense, you're making my head hurt. Yeah, apparently, like, I've read, and, and, and let me say this, and this is where I think the guys from Red Letter Media are, are just geniuses, they, um, you know, they say that if you have to read something else to explain the movie, they, they were talking specifically about, like, The Phantom Menace, and they were like, well, you know, if this makes more sense if you see it in, uh, if you see it in the book uh, of the Phantom Menace movie. And they're like, no, fuck off. If you can't, if you can't explain it to me correctly in the movie, then it doesn't count. That's a fair point. <laughs> Sean, you were you've been itching to get in here, so go ahead. My God, it's a human being. It's not your iPhone, you silly hot. If you lay it down somewhere, if you if you misplace it, chances are you're gonna remember the last place you had it. Uh, um, I know you're making jokes, but let, 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 let me just say this: they never tell you, they never really explain it. Maybe I missed it, but they never really explain. They did. Okay, they never explain what the ultimate purpose is, which is screenwriting fail 101. So you don't know. So let, let's just accept it for what it is. This child it has been adopted by another family and is living a normal life. This familiar, essentially, this demon guide, I, I, this odd fucking albino kid, uh, is there to do something to Hunter for Katie to do what? To then, okay, so what they really need is a virgin sacrifice. If I, I, just my saying it that way, and I'm not even trying to joke about the plot line, that's literally what I got out of this movie, was they took kind of horror memes and threw darts and said, that's the plot. Yeah, pre- it, it felt so disjointed. And, and you know what? When I saw the previews for the movie, and I saw 
creepy little baby Dwight standing in the driveway in his little hoodie looking like the catalyst from Mass Effect 3. Actually, God, even that would be a, a Mass Effect 3 Paranormal Activity crossover. Goddamn Himmel, even that would be a better story than this. <laughs> I saw him standing in the driveway, and that was what I figured. I figured, okay, Hunter is now a demon. Hmm, boy, yet another geek phantom in which I'm rooting against a bad guy named Hunter. Like a theme with me. Um, and that was what I figured. And then all of a sudden we got into the movie, and then we get the whole, the whole thing where there are two kids and Hunter is not the one I thought it was, and that was the point at which it started making Highlander 2 sense to me. <laughs> and I do not mean the renegade version. I I mean full-on, no, the immortals are aliens, ha-ha-ha version. Yeah, it's confused, Matthew once said. Why? Because plot says so. Uh, so, you know, I, I want to go a step, slight step further as far as four goes, and I'll—I didn't even find it scary, in all honesty. I mean, even it, so, you know, we're, we're kind of bagging on plot here, and it's an important thing, especially in one that is de- in a series and a franchise that's supposed to be somewhat detail-oriented, and you know, things that you're supposed to be rewarded for paying attention to. But I could overlook that if there was actually anything remotely scary going on in that movie. But no, no, not really. The whole thing, my problem, you know, and this is a huge problem I had with 4 from the beginning, was there's no sense of pacing. There's no yeah. building of anything. There, I mean, at, in one sequence, she go the blonde chick goes and sees all of the little kids' toys when everyone's gone. All of the toys are now lined up in a line out in the hallway leading into the bedroom, and it's kind of oh, creepy, yeah. I'll give you that. And then you have the faux jump scare because the train set turns on by itself, and she runs out freaked out. And then that night, the thing, you know, again, a lot of the thing, you know, bad stuff happens at night. During the day, you're relatively safe until you get further along and it gets more power and whatnot. And no... So now Toby lined up all of his toys, turned on the train and made the teenage girl jump and got a good chuckle, and then that night he moves the door a little bit. And that's supposed to... Scares. That's supposed to help tension some. No, it doesn't. There's no... I mean, at least the third one kept a moderate sense as far as pacing went of, it's a little creepy, it's a little creepier... And then you get, I mean, I'm not defending a lot of three, but at least it had that kind of natural progression. It didn't try to go from in-your-face back to subtle and expect it to work properly. But even three goes off the rails in that final scene. Well, Outside of the final scene. I mean... Yeah, no, I'm not disagreeing with you, Robert, but I think we have to acknowledge that, is that I actually think you're right. I didn't like 3 because I didn't like the gimmick. Um, I thought, you know, we went backwards instead of forwards, and so I was losing interest in the major anchor of this movie. Now, that's me, and I'm not saying that everyone's going to see it the same way. But just j- just in terms of, like I said, plot and, and natural storytelling, you're right. This movie actually starts to go somewhere, and then it goes complete, And it really goes off the rails in that in that whole third act. Once they get to Grandma's house, who's apparently a witch... And yeah. you're supposed to have some of these supposed payoffs of this family's history and why this demon is haunting them. It a makes no sense. B it's it's like an <laughs> for people.
people who are not wrestling fans, I apologize for what I'm about to say, but this sounds like a completely overbooked wrestling angle. Where, you know, you have a schmoz and everyone's coming, you know, running to the ring with garbage cans and chairs and, you know, and it's just like, it's, now, like, it's like you don't I need all you, of this. Paranormal Activity 3 and 4, the last bit of 3 and all of 4 were like something Vince Russo cooked up in his sleep. Again, <laughs> professional wrestling. It, it, it Pointless swerves, makes no sense. There were, it, this is a major problem with found footage genre in general and sequels. If in that it is so easy for someone doing it to justify changing things. Because all of the information we have is third-hand. We get it from someone else who got it from someone else. I mean, the whole potential exposition in the second one of you can trade your... you can trade... you can get power and wealth and success from a demon in exchange for your firstborn son, and then Hunter's the first male born on that side of the family in however many years... You know, okay, that makes sense. I can go with that, but because we got it from another character who got it from a website, in the minds of someone writing it or producing it, it is so easy to go, eh, they looked it up wrong. Just, as far as their own personal justification goes, because of, the, because of the nature of it, you're not necessarily held to a higher standard of continuity because it is so infernally easy to justify, even in your own mind, doing something different. And it annoys me to no end as far as these go. Well, I want to I want to reference something Sean said and then let Sean back into the discussion here. And you know, Sean, very funny, he was, you know, rattled you were wrong, wrong, wrong when I talked about um the concept of motivation in a character. And I said, you know, my problem with this is that is that the main villain in these things doesn't really have any motivation and you were like, "No, that's what makes it even greater. That's what makes it even creepier." And the funny thing about this, and I think we actually brought this up in the first podcast, and now would be a good time to talk about this, is as you start to get more motivation, the thing becomes exponentially convoluted. And you are absolutely right. After watching three and four, God bless you, Sean, you were right on the money. The more you, dis- the more Thank they you. gave the demon motivation, the more they gave Katie demon mot- motivation, the more they gave Hunter motivation, the more you were like, none of this fucking matches. You don't know what the demon ultimately wants because first he wanted to, first he wanted the firstborn son for payment. Now he wants the sacrificial virgin. Uh, but they don't explain forget, why. Let's not forget that sequence in the third one where Grandma's getting Christy ready for a wedding to Toby. Yeah. Yeah. And now, okay, so now he wants the firstborn child. He wants to get with a little girl, and he needs a virgin. I mean, my feeling about this. The way they're, it felt like they're trying to set things up is we've now gone through four movies, and as far as what your plot line looks like it's trying to go for, we're about a fourth of the way through the original Omen movie. It just, <laughs> it is so. Ugh. I mean, here's. That, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, he, here's kind of the other factor, though, and if, let, let's take a look at this chronologically. In the. In what would be Paranormal Activity 3, which would be at the far left of the timeline, we've established that Toby is actually, contrary to what we've been led to believe in the first two movies, for all intents and purposes, a puppet. Um, He's by this coven. Yes, yes. He's basically a hired gun for this coven. Um, Now, by this point, actually... All of these women in the original coven, by about the time of Paranormal Activity and Paranormal Activity 2, 
are dust. Yeah, they, they are, are dead. So has Toby gone rogue? <laughs> is, is somebody else controlling Toby now? Congratulations, you've given yourself one more thing that we expect you to not explain at all or to explain stupidly. I guarantee uh, you it's the devil in the, in the fifth one. In the fifth one, Hunter will be all grown up. This will be some plan of the devil, and it'll, and it'll ultimately lead to the end of the world. You know what? Like underpants. You, you mentioned yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you guys saw it, but at the, at the very end of 4, if you actually bothered to sit through the credits to write down a list of names of people you wish to inflict serious harm upon, <laughs> there is one of the most bizarre epilogues ever. Really? Because I you get to the I, If I you left, get to the I, end of it, there's these two guys, like in Mexico. Yeah. And and they see the old woman who says in Spanish, this is only be- the beginning, and then they get freaked out. I mean, so now, because at the end of the fourth one, it wasn't just the coven closing in on poor little blonde girl. They all looked possessed, kind of like Katie did. You had the eyes and whatnot going on. So yeah. now, not only do we have an army of demons who can, I mean, is, is it just me, or is it moderately sexist to imply that a demon needs to possess a male child to reach his full potential? Because apparently they can possess women left, right, and center. Let's not bring Ronda Rousey. No, no, we got to have okay. Hunter. Yeah. You know you know what? Actually, that's a good point, because, folks, that's the most depressing aspect about all of this. They have not just greenlit a sequel. Oh, no. Not only next Halloween will there be a Paranormal Activity 5. There's going to be a Latino spinoff. What the Toby the Man? This is one of those situations that makes me regret ever becoming a social worker. I should have gotten a business degree, gotten into Hollywood, and worked for a studio. Because apparently it takes very little talent or thought to make oodles and oodles of money churning out bullshit after bullshit. And you know what? Here's what's truly amazing about this, and I want to go ahead and get into this a little bit before this goes into the overrun. Um, you know what two movies I rewatched recently? Well, correction, I rewatched one of them. Another one I watched for the first time: Grave Encounters and Grave Encounters Two. Yay! I like those. You well? I'm Look, with okay. you on out of the two. Okay. I really liked one. I thought, again, two I'm kind of iffy on. I at least liked that they ditched the found footage angle as far as two goes. Well, I'll I'll get to that in a second. Um, because in my opinion, found footage, either do it or don't. Do I'm, I'm kind of with you there. Half-ass it. Don't, the only time don't, I think I'll, kind of half-assing it, so to speak, worked was in uh, Leslie Vernon because they ended that in just a traditional movie oh, setting, but, that, but the first bit of it was found footage. That made sense, and I kind of got what they were going with there, and I I understood that, and I just kind of went, okay, fair enough, I'll give you that one. Well played, Mask of Leslie Vern, or Behind the Mask. Um, but you know what? Paranormal Activity, or not Paranormal Activity, uh, Grave Encounters, written every bit as tightly continuity-wise as the first two paranormal activities were, and as tightly as the third and fourth movies should have been. Because everywhere there could have been a possible plot hole, they headed it off. 
and they managed to close it to the point to where the whole thing actually makes sense. Um, the second movie, I think, is the better one to address in regards to these two movies, because this is how you do a sequel to a concept like that and have it actually kind of work. It, the movie, I didn't really enjoy it until about a little more than halfway through, mostly because there ain't a likable character in this entire thing. I um, want to talk about you guys' hatred towards the girl in the fourth one um, before we close out this podcast, but you're in the middle of your thing, so I want to let you finish, but do, but we uh, need oh, to come back to that. Okay, sure, sure, sure. But, but even by the end of, of Grave Encounters 2, and I'm going to spoil as little as possible, they found a way to actually make everything about both movies make sense, even right down to the evil entity's motivation. They explained just enough, but not too much. They left the door open for a sequel, but it's a sequel that it would be stretching it, but I can see how it might kind of sort of make sense. You know, my suggestion, to be perfectly honest, watch Paranormal Activity 1 and 2, and then if you're really still jonesing for the same kinds of movies, first, had to kind of let yourself down a little bit, let yourself breathe, go watch Paranormal Entity, the mockbuster made by the Asylum. Dang, that, okay. I enjoyed that. That's a good one. It's not it as is, good, but it's very good. No, you know, it has its, like any Asylum movie, it has its stupid moments. It has its shoddy writing, but you know, even for being a shot, a sometimes shot-for-shot, concept-for-concept parody on Paranormal Activity, it's very, very good. It's surprisingly good. Once you've seen that, go watch Grave Encounters and... I reluctantly recommend Grave Encounters 2, but I will warn you, you're going to want to gouge your eyes out for about the first half of Grave Encounters 2 because it is another example of found footage done right, right down to the fact that your main character becomes deplorable, becomes absolutely abhorred, by everybody else around him because he won't put the fucking camera down. <laughs> Until he does. <laughs> well, but we don't want to give away too much now, Robert. Um, no, I, I'm just saying, I liked that moment when they finally have had enough of him toting the camera around. Right, right. And, 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 I, and I, I don't want to spoil it, but I, I, it was nice to see that be acknowledged in a and you again, I let you know. It seems to be brought up every now and then in other found footage movies. Why are you still carrying the camera? Why are you filming this? And they just kind of brush it off. And it was nice to see that get played up more in Grave Encounters too. It it you know it it was and it it ended pretty nicely. And again, just my uh, my big big problem is just this main is just this main character. He makes Mika look like an absolute white knight. Um, <laughs> He, Instead of that for no, a moment, people. This, this guy is a genuine 100% hipster asshat, um, and he's surrounded by a bunch of douche canoes that almost seem to be trying to make him look good sometimes. They're acting like such assholes. Um, 
that's my best recommendation. Guys, just pretend three and four never happened. <laughs> just yeah. pretend there was every three and four and that there's not going to be a five and an and activity paranormalo or whatever, whatever it is. All right, let's talk a little bit about the characters, and um, we can talk about the good. And I know there was, you know, there were, there were, there were the actors in the third one. Um, I know you don't, you don't like the mom, um, but you know the, the little girls did their parts good. We can talk about the boyfriend, but what I really, really want to talk is probably the most controversial character, especially among the three of us, because you two had such a problem with her, <laughs> um, and that is who girl whose name I do not remember. Um, in Paranormal Activity 4. She's the star of this thing. She's the face you see in every image. Um, and, look, I, do, I don't criticize too much in the way of acting. Um, you have to be believable. Think, you know, you have to be reacting to things around you in, in a manner that doesn't completely take me out of the movie, which was, you know, in this case, difficult because I was being taken out by other elements. But, from what I recall in our first discussion of these movies, um, you, she, she acts in a way that, that irritates both of you. And, and here's what I will say to you. Having been around teenage girls um, in, in, my, in my profession for over a decade now, I didn't think her behavior was unbelievable. It may have been annoying to you, and that's, that's valid. You know, Vicky Guerrero annoys the living piss out of me, but that's her job. That's what she's supposed to do. Um, and, and I felt like her portrayal of a character in those kinds of situations for a girl her age in that environment were pretty consistent. I didn't have a major problem with her, um, at, with it as a performance. So I'm curious to hear from you, Sean, and then Robert, if you see where I'm coming from or if you completely disagree and you had a problem with her performance, not with the characterization per se. Oh no! I see what you're. I see what you're. Pro, I see what you're saying there, and I totally agree with you. I totally agree that yes, that is a very realistic portrayal of a teenage girl. The only problem is, is by putting her on the screen that much, you're subjecting me to having to put up with that very realistic teenage girl for two straight hours, and I can't get away from her. <laughs> Amen. Like being on, it is like being on a transcontinental flight with a two-year-old with a toothache. <laughs> okay, so we're clear here. <laughs> it's, oh no, my, my problem is not that it's unrealistic. That was never my problem. Okay. My problem is crikey, bumblefuck, shut up. So, note to future movie makers, don't make annoying girls the heroines of your plot movie, of your uh, horror movies. Yes, you cannot do that. She's the type of, if you were watching a basic slasher movie, she's the girl that you want to see get killed first. No, I would have wanted her boyfriend to get killed first, and I applauded when he did Of the women. Don't get me started on the boyfriend. That guy was beyond useless. I cheered when Katie turned his head around. That you was too. awesome. We'll drink to that. Thank you. <laughs> well, okay. And let me stop you both there, then, because this brings up an interesting point, and let, let's kick this around a little bit. So, you guys are both uh, aficionados of the, horror, of the horror genre. Which is preferable? Characters that you sympathize with and can root for, and that you hope beat the monster, 
or characters that are deplorable, and you can't wait to be eaten by the monster. You need With, both. You, you absolutely need both. If you have to choose, I would rather have a movie center around someone I could root for to beat yes. the monster. I'm, I mean, that's a huge problem with some of the later Halloween... One of the problems, clarify, with <laughs> some of the later Halloween movies or the Jasons or any of those is that you no longer want the characters to survive. You want to see the inventive ways that Jason is going to cut them up with a machete. And that's not the reaction you should be. I mean, one of the most obnoxious characters in all of horror, for my money, and I forget which Jason it is, I want to say like five or six, but is this little black kid, Reggie the Reckless. Oh, fucking A. I forget which Jason movie it is. He is nothing but a... He's like a 12-year-old kid. I should not be rooting for Jason to cut him in half. (laughs) And yet, there I am, and he doesn't, which pissed me off even more. It's like, okay, Jason's going to go down because it's a horror movie. He goes down, we get another one. At least kill this annoying kid. Cut him in half, feed him to a woodchepper, run him over with a car, kill him, and he doesn't. And it... Oh... Well, Sean, I, I, Sean, let me ask I, you this. Do you think that's actually a, an ongoing structural problem with the horror genre right now, is that they've lost the point of a sympathetic hero, you know, the one who is to survive? Or at least, even if you create a sympathetic hero who does not survive, at least you're left with a tragic ending. I feel like from what you both are saying and what little I do know of the modern horror genre is there, as Robert said about the the Saw series, it becomes torture porn. You know, you've you've abandoned uh, appropriate movie structure uh, by not having any kind of compelling character, by not having someone to root for, and it's just you're literally watching an hour and a half of people getting slaughtered with no with nothing but contempt for any of these people and you're rooting for the person you're not supposed to be rooting for or maybe that's even the intent is come watch the monster watch the monster uh mutilate people for an hour and a half enjoy here's your ticket i don't mind those movies i've seen a couple of them that are just i mean again some of them that are just you know here's a monster he's somewhat interesting i mean and here's all these people who you i mean as long as for my money, if they make it obvious that these are bad, that these are people you're not supposed to root for, and here's a monster who is just kind of cool and he's going to kill all of them, I'm okay with that as long as everyone knows that's what you're doing. You're not trying to create a sympathetic character. But if you look at great horror movies, and this is one of my problem with Friday the 13th and some of the later entries is you lose some of the likable characters, the characters you want to see survive. And... But if you look at, like, Halloween, Michael Myers isn't nearly as intimidating or as enduring if you don't have uh, Jamie Lee Curtis escaping. You don't have this poor girl who you think, why is this happening to you? You know, without Heather Langenkamp in Freddy... Thank you. He's just someone killing people in creative ways. You don't have someone who you're sitting there going... Find a way around this. I don't wish horrible death upon you, which was one of my huge problems with the remake because I did want Freddy to kill that girl. I actually didn't mind the surviving guy, but I really wanted him to kill that uh, to kill the Heather character in that one. The Nancy Let's character. get Sean in here. Sean, 
kind of picking up where Robert left off. Go ahead. You know what? I'm so glad he stuck with the Nightmare on Elm Street series because that's the best way to make this point is the fact that in the first Friday the third or first Friday first Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger is a vengeful, malevolent being, but emphasize the vengeful. Um, he's going after the children of the people who killed him. That's the thing. That's just enough motivation. That's fine. Um, people will ask me why I hate the subsequent sequels. It's because he became a wise-cracking jokester who seemingly didn't have that kind of motivation. Um, uh, when you get everything past three is just garbage for my money. I mean, they have a couple of cool moments, but at least in three they brought back that sense of continuity, which yeah. I was well, yeah, very grateful for. Yeah, and, and I don't like three by any stretch. Um, you know, I'm I'm of the very hard line sense that of the Nightmare on Elm Street line proper, which means I exclude Freddy vs. Jason in the remake. There were two good movies with one thing in common, and that's Wes Craven. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street was great. Wes Craven's new Nightmare was so fucking perb. Incredibly well executed for what a complex concept it was. Um, but every everything Robert said stands up so well for so much of horror is the fact that you have to have somebody that you do root for along the way. Um, in the first Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, you have most of this movie, Heather Langenkamp having no idea why why this is all being visited upon her. And then finally, she gets it, and you see that it really was through absolutely no fault of her own. Nothing she did. There was no ditzy-witsy misstep somewhere that laid all this in her path. It was really almost entirely her mother's doing and that of the other parents around her. Um... You mentioned you mentioned the Saw movies. Okay, maybe not exactly what you're talking about, but yeah, the first three Saw movies, or the Amanda trilogy, as I've heard them referred to of the seven, um, you actually have an emphasis on story and on kind of a little bit of a moral quagmire in which you're kind of forced to admit at some points that really, yeah, some of the people that Jigsaw is taking out yeah, they kind of deserve it. Um, you you kind of see what he's you kind of see what he's going for, and what he's really trying to do. And while while his 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 means are questionable, his ends are in a way kind of kind of understandable, if not if not I able to be that was, that was a huge problem I had with the Saw franchise when you get into especially five, I think it was five, I get, some of them in the middle I get mixed up because I just, you, know, you don't care, they all become generic in a lot of ways, but in, I want to say it was four or five, you had the, um, I hate to be generic, but the black SWAT cop who was looking for Donnie Wahlberg. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, that was, uh, that was four. It, it's four or five, I can't remember, what, I can never keep them straight because, again, they're so very similar in so many ways, but he was the last, moderately sympathetic character that you had 
in the Saw franchise. Yeah. And that's also the point where they start drastically going downhill. Because yeah, in the others, this... you have these people who are placed in horrible positions, and most of them, like you said, not all of them are good. Most of them are bad people who need to be, who, you know, you can look at that yeah. and say, okay, I don't mind you dying. But there's also, there's always at least one or two who you look at and go, you know, you don't deserve this. I want you to get out of it. I want you to be okay. I, you know, I'm rooting for you. And when you get away from that in horror, it becomes, uh, it, it just becomes so irrelevant in so many ways because you don't have, if you find yourself rooting, you know, I mean, Jigsaw is, you know, a bad example in some ways because he is such an interesting character. But oh, if yeah, you find exactly. yourself rooting for Jigsaw, so to speak, rooting for Michael Myers, there's a problem. Well, I was supposed to say, root for these it, people. We, we talked about this in the first podcast that without tension, I think w- without tension, the horror movie becomes splatterhouse. You know, it just becomes an, an, an exercise in watching a dancing bear maul people. So <laughs> it. it um, I feel I like things that would have made Paranormal Activity four better is of dancing bear mauling people. Well, well, yep. no, because so far, because so far, I am up to dancing bear mauling people. Um, crossover with oh, what was the crossover I mentioned earlier? Mass Effect Three. Oh yeah, uh, Mass Effect Three crossover. And you mentioned wrestling, and I kind of thought, you know what? At some point, it might have actually made it watchable if all of a sudden New Jack and Toby just start dueling with staple guns and kendo sticks. I was going to say, this movie, these movies... We need Hulk Hogan to come down and shield. save the day. Hulk Hogan <laughs> has to come down and leg drop Toby. That's, that's, that's how this has to go. All right, let me, let me wrap up this point. Um, I, I feel like, you know, the first two movies work well because of tension, and I think, in general, horror works well when there's tension. And, you know, and dramatic tension is, is an important element of that. It's you're, you're with that character and you don't want bad things to happen to that character and that character is in peril. That kind of dramatic tension follows through everything except for maybe comedy, and even in some comedies it happens. So it sounds to me like, I think we can all agree on this, that the part of the problem with, with three and definitely the major problem with four is that tension is gone, gone, gone because you you are not sympathetic towards this girl. You're certainly not sympathetic towards anybody else in this family, and you're just waiting for the big reveal, the big aha moment to find out who, exactly who the villain is and how exactly they're going to dispose of these people. And ultimately, you're let down because the whole reasons for all of these things is collect, you know, is you know, lobster. It just there's nothing. Was, you, you get nothing. I, I I was rooting for Baby Dwight. I was rooting for him to become assistant demon general manager. <laughs> yes. Can I also assist, speak to a, assistant a, general manager most, to the assistant? One of the most obnoxious things I think that I found about three and four, and you touched on it last time, Sean, is the fake out scare. Girl. I hate. Well, let's start. I hate fake out scares. And for anyone who doesn't know what I'm referring to out there, that is you're you're climbing the stairs, hypothetically. You're climbing the stairs. You're the door's shaking. You're building tension. You get up there. You open the door, and there's nothing. And you take a moment. Oh no, it was nothing. You turn around, and there's the monster on the stairs behind you. I hate those because they're they're beyond trite at this point, especially in horror. And for me, when I see those, it is a sign to me that, one, you can't, 
create proper tension, and you're resorting to cheap tricks. I mean, loud noise after a quiet moment scares anyone. Ta-da, you are now frightening people who only have a sense of hearing. I don't need to watch this. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, and, and, and you know, it, you know what, killed, since we talked about it a second ago, do you know what movie never had to resort to a single fake-out scare all through it and was absolutely legendary great? Go for it. Fucking Saw! Amen. <laughs> the very first Saw, you never had one of those. Um, but for me, when that happens in a horror movie, I mean, yeah, you get the quick reaction of maybe I jump because it's designed to give a cheap little, yeah. But it isn't just a release of tension, which does have to be released now and then. It's, oh, wait, you don't have anything here. You're not actually building tension. You're trying to fool me with cheap tricks. I'm, not, I'm no longer going to invest in tension or what's going on in the film. And that has nothing to do with characters or mood. It's just techniques that take you out of... What's going on? And it absolutely. Okay, real quick thing: the Red Letter or... Media guys, when they reviewed this movie, were like, "This isn't a movie. This is a haunted house ride." Gotcha! No monster. Here's a kitty. <laughs> yeah. No, because because you know what? God made cats for two reasons. Number one, to power the internet, and yeah. two, to make fake out scares even easier. I want to stick with the concept of the fake out scare, but I want to tie this to just to kind of a bigger part of this podcast. Uh, we're probably going to go a little bit over the 90 minutes, so for folks, uh, when the sound suddenly cuts out on you, um, to hear the remainder of the podcast where we're going to reveal what our next Long Road to Ruin is going to be, uh, and there will be no fake-out scare and no bait-and-switch. We're not going to get to the end of this thing and go lobster and then cut off. You will know what we are doing next, I promise you. Uh, <laughs> hang on. If you if you go back to, uh, to the archives once this podcast finally concludes. But I, I do... Uh, there were I had a list of things I wanted to talk about. You guys are talking about the fake-out scares now. I do want to um, get to anything you guys felt like we needed to address that we haven't. Um, Robert, finish your point about the fake-out scares, and then um, anything else that you're like, hey, we didn't talk about this and we need to, and then, Sean, you do the same. Go ahead, Robert. Uh, fake-out scares, I mean, I have to imagine that whoever first came up with them as far as hor- using them in horror movies go way back when was something of a genius because they're effective when done properly. Oh, yeah. But at this point in time, in the horror genre, you they, do, they serve no purpose. They serve to get a cheap reaction with loud noise and, a, and something you didn't expect to see after you expect a release of tension. And there are movies that they do this so frequently, not only can you predict it, it removes any sense of I mean the American remake of The Grudge did that so often it I couldn't even begin to care plus the cat because Tuan is so good oh yeah there are so few you know Asian horror is very different from American horror but if you're able I mean The Ring I didn't care much for The Ring but at least it managed to have an eerie sense to it as opposed to fake jump-out scares every couple of minutes, which, do again, they don't serve any purpose. They don't build to anything. And if you like horror movies, you when they happen, you kind of die a little inside because you know very little good is going to continue coming because that's like the last of the bag of tricks is, fake-out scare, ha, huh? we scared you, ha, 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 no, sorry, oh, wait, you're going to have to do it again and again and again and 
it's for me. I think the fake out scare like that is the drunk frat boys in a house who find something that worked once and then can't leave it alone. It's the joke that won't die. It's the dead horse you have to beat over and over and over and over again. And well, it's, it's lazy writing, and 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 every genre in Hollywood has got this. You know, it's instead of instead of uh, character development and story, and you know, in the traditional elements that you know made movies great years and years ago. It's 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 what I said before, and I, I hate to sound cynical because I really do love movies, and not every movie is this way. But it's literally it's these are vehicles to make money. These are products. Nothing more, and so there's no, um, th- there's no ode to craft. There's just these people are idiots, and they've already paid their money, so fuck them. And and these so are, why are we putting are any like effort into Roger this? Corman, this is the Roger Corman Corporation in a lot of ways, I think. In, hey, not for nothing, but Roger Corman made some awesome schlock. I'm yes, not saying he didn't, but that's the whole. But it's taken the soul away from even what Roger Corman was doing. And oh, that's going to say, like, don't sully the name of Roger Corman. I'll put Roger no, Corman no, no, up no, against no. most I, of this I stuff. I love a lot of what he did, but if you look, he was making. But his whole goal was really small budget, pay people minimum, maximize profit. He sure. did it with some great schlock movies, and you know, and he influenced a whole bevy of very talented directors and actors and whatnot because some because he was involved because they were involved with him he gave let's put it this way i don't remember sitting and watching black mama white mama and trying to figure out the plot yeah right but (laughs) if you take away even that bit of soul that even that you know that sense of maybe fun or craftsmanship or the soul that roger corman had you get a lot of these sequels it's okay we're gonna we've got a name a brand name that we can push we don't care what goes on. Here's a low budget, and you'll turn a huge profit. And it is just—it's not good. It's not good for the franchise. It's not good for moviegoers. And you know, like you said, not every movie is like that. Not every sequel is like that. Not every franchise is like that. But it is painfully obvious when they've become that. Sure. Sean. What haven't we covered that uh, I know you needed to exercise some demons on this one, and I want to make sure you have your time. So the time is now, and it's yours. What haven't we talked about on this podcast with regards to three and four that you feel needs addressing? Uh, you know what? We we really hit almost all of the major parts as far as isolating them and really breaking them down. Um, honestly, the worst thing I can say about four is four – I can hardly name anything about it that I really remember. I can tell you scares from three, even the ones that weren't in the movie, that I actually remember very well and go, oh, yeah, that was actually kind of cool. I actually even liked the ending sequence of three, even if I didn't understand why the boyfriend was still carrying around the camera. I I agree with you there. It is well done. The only issue is... He's still carrying around a camera when he's terrified, but as far as execution, in a lot of ways, it is very well done. Right, right. But the sad thing about this is the fact that we've said that the first two movies are very Hitchcockian. Unfortunately, three and four are more like throwaway R.L. Stein novels. <laughs> you could just say R.L. Stein novels, you know. What did you say? I said you could just say R.L. Stein novels. You, that doesn't have to be qualified like that. Well, hey, some of them are that, good for a, what... That's a facetious comment, I freely admit. I, he does have I, some good stuff. 
But it, but it was it, it was like somebody finally made a movie version of Fear Street. Is what these last two movies are like. And Which Fear Street. Well, well no, it just, it, to me, it just felt like we have a concept. It, the concept makes money. Let's just keep doing it, and let's keep doing it with familiar characters. Because, you know, I thought about this after the fact. Um, I'll reference the fact that I work in a jail again, and it's filled with cameras that run continuously and can record on. I feel like you can continue to do paranormal activities for as long as you can do Marvel movies and Pirates, and Pirates of the Caribbean and now Star Wars. You can you can run with this concept for as long as you've got interesting ideas, but it starts with the ability to rework the gimmick in a way that makes sense and is interesting. So mm-hmm. I think, to me, the, the failure of 4, above all else, is that the, the Katie Christie story really should have ended with two. And if you felt the need to do a, a a prequel, fine. Why the hell not? George Lucas did it. Everybody does it. You know, go ahead and do your prequel. But that should have been it. If they were going to go ahead and do four, and, I, and the concept of four, as I've said before now, the concept of four of using the computers and using the Xbox I thought was fine. And if they had started with a new girl... And, you know, they could have literally left every single element in that movie the same without having to reference the earlier storyline and continue it. I frankly think we're better off not knowing what happened to Hunter. It's a lot scarier that way. Um, But more to my point is you can – they would have done a better job of making that movie if if they had just started a new story. New story kept some of the they could have kept some of the elements that they already did in that movie the same, and it would have been just fine without the convoluted backstory involved with it. If you if you if you follow me, um, if were they going to do a fifth one, and Katie Featherstone, to my knowledge, has not said yes or no whether or not she's involved with it. She said she'd like to be, but she didn't say she was for sure. But they they could be keeping that under wraps so that you know they can do a big reveal in it. Regardless, for me and I'll let you guys kind of comment on this in a moment, for the paranormal activities to stay at least some way fresh, do it in a jail. Do it in a jail, you know, could you imagine a demon fucking with inmates, you know, in, in a jail where everyone's closed in? That, that to me, is the recipe for an awesome idea. You know, you know, inmates, a demon, Uh-oh. cameras, and you can't get out anywhere, and it's in a jail. You could have lots of fun with that sort of thing. You know, uh, do it. There's different locations that you can do this at. Different ways to do an idea where someone has to be recording something without it being ridiculous. Fine. You know, and I'm not going to sit here and brainstorm on the podcast, but you catch my meaning. There are other ways to re yeah. Yeah. To, to reconfigure the gimmick to make it interesting, but they have to, have to, have to, have to start a new line of story. If they continue on with this, this is beating it to death. Uh, Sean and You're Robert. absolutely right. Sean? Yeah. Um, you know, it has to be one of two things. You either have to come up with some masterful way to make sense of every single plot hole you have created, and I don't see that happening or, or as you said, Mark, you gotta just start it anew. Um, I actually kind of liked your jail idea. I think that's, I think that's kind of cool. Um, but honestly, I think even if they came up with this, I don't know if I would go see another one because I was angry enough after three when, and it took a few minutes after I left the theater for it to dawn on me what really bothered me. 
And then I realized, wait a second. You built this up to be completely opposite of what it was. And you and then I realized just how much of what was advertised that had me so excited wasn't even in the damn movie. And I was just pissed. And as time went on, I just kind of thought, okay, Paranormal Activity 4, this is your last chance. You really burned me with that last one. I'm giving you this one chance to set things right and show me that you know what you're doing after all. Is that, then, is that a thing for you, though, Sean, you know, where if a movie goes so far off the rails, there's no redemption, there's no, you know, you're just like, that's it, you've already soured me on this concept, no matter what you do, Dancing Bears, Chael Sonnen, Ronda Rousey, it doesn't matter, I don't want any part of this. You know what, honestly, when Paranormal Activity 5 comes out, I really don't think I'll see it. I, I, I really doubt it. There's... Because I can't imagine, I can't fathom what they could come up with that would make all of this make sense beyond Paranormal Activity 2. And that saddens me because I was so on board with a prequel actually explaining all this and showing what the girls were put through that they had apparently, that I thought, that we thought at first was supposed to be so traumatic that they just blocked it out of their minds. Well, no, of course, as it turns out, it was cult voodoo. <laughs> uh, hey, man, if my daughter ever turns into a demon, I suspect it'll be traumatizing. Right, but you well, get then your mother-in-law I... can take her upstairs with the disambiguous let's-get-ready crap as well. So, I mean... They were getting ready right. to rumble. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Toby versus David Arquette. Okay, that probably wasn't what you meant. Um, I would actually pay money to watch any supernatural entity eviscerate David Arquette. Not the not a character, David Arquette. They can kill him and I'll what? be just fine. But you know what? Here's the thing, and the fact is, is sometimes franchises do manage to write themselves. And... One of the one of the franchises I think we should one day do is the Fast and the Furious. Because absolutely, I need a good. I need a reason to watch movies I don't care about. Well, because it was an okay first movie, not my all time favoriteest, but eh, I I could watch it. If it's on, I'll sit back and enjoy myself. Two was horrible, beyond horrible. Three was, was three was an absolute abortion. The only redeeming quality of three is if you are a fan of Japanese cars. If you like that Tokyo Drift one. Yes, yeah, that's Tokyo, that Tokyo Drift. Drift. And my brother is a huge fan of the franchise and loves Japanese cars. Those are his. So, I mean, yeah. he tells a joke that's actually true. The first time he saw that movie, he had to watch it again to realize there were girls in, when they would first pull into that underground racing club because he was so <laughs> focused on the cars. And well, if you like if you like Japanese cars, you can find stuff to enjoy about that one. Other than that, it is absolute dreck. See, but but then the very damnedest thing happened. Then all of a sudden, Vin Diesel comes back on board and actually has kind of some good ideas for how they can take it back to its roots and something else they can actually do with his character Dom Toretto. And 
lo and behold, it kind of breathed new life back into it. I mean, that franchise simple. didn't come back in. What saved that franchise was The Rock. Let's not beat around the bush here. Well, I would say it was a combination of the two. I would say Vin got it back on track enough with four that there was even interest enough That's to do true. a fast if, if four had bombed them. again, like drifted, it would have been. They never would have got there. So yeah, I agree with yeah. you there. Exactly, but I mean, it, it goes to show that it's possible. You can, sometimes it can be done. Um, it's not easy, but in that case, lo and behold, they have breathed new life into this thing to the point where. I'm forced to admit that, yeah, even though there are certainly better car movies I would rather watch, yeah, you know what? I would probably buy a ticket to go see Fast Fast 6 and Fast 7. So to get back to the initial point, you know, um, what we're saying about paranormal activities is, like like most uh, of the franchises that we look at in this series, is that, you know, it goes up and then it goes down, and then the question then becomes, are you now so dis- disenchanted with this that you'll never see another one, or will you go back to see if they can write if they can write it, you know? And it sounds to me like you're saying that maybe there's a chance this thing can write itself, but right now you're, you're extremely disenchanted. Um, how about you, Robert? What, um, how, how are you feeling towards a Paranormal Activity 5? Ugh. I'll have to... <laughs> you, you know, my thing with that... It would take a strong... I will not go see it blindly. It would take a strong recommendation from yeah. people whose opinions I trust and agree with to get me to go to pay money to see it. If you find out that this is the further adventures of Hunter and the Demon, best friends forever, are you going to see it? Probably not, no. I might... Yeah, so I mean, that I might title leave Nick tune. Yeah. <laughs> I might... At that point, if it's that bad, I might wait for them to stream it on Netflix and then laugh at it, but... Yeah. Well, found footage in and of itself is such a tricky thing to keep going with because, you know, like you said, it gets old to have the guy carrying around the camera. And that was what was so good about the first two was it makes sense as to why this would happen. I mean, the only other found footage movie that I've seen that I thought made sense as far as that goes was a little uh, indie number called Megan is Missing. I don't know if either of you have oh, seen it. God. Oh, I wow. like so much about that. My my issue with that is the ending because it just it goes off the rails to the point of wait, this oh, makes Lord. no sense. But oh, I loved the setup Lord. for it. Um, I loved how they did. If you haven't seen it, it's by and large a collection of web uh, video chats and security footage and home movies that is pieced together and presented as evidence pieced together, and they have. There are some still photos in there as well, and it's presented very well, I think. I like how they did it. I don't yeah. like the ending because it, feel, it feels like they got to the end when they were writing and said, oh, crap, we have to have uh, an ending, and they botched it horribly for my money. But that's a completely different subject. I liked how they presented found footage in that sense. I, um, I just wanted to, I, I I just wanted wanted to add it. something, uh, you know, as far as um, series that write themselves. Um, kind of like you guys, um, you know, I was a big fan of the uh, the Star Trek series of movies, and you know, they got the, it was great with two, three, three started to get silly, four was a comedy, and then by the time they got to five, as I've often said, um, it, it was so bad 
that when Six came out, we we all jokingly called it the apology, but it really was. It was one of those where it was like I almost didn't want to go see any more of the Kirk series of Star Trek movies because I'm like these are just getting stupid now. Um, they've sort of lost the point, and then they do Six, and Six is the last time you get you, you get the full on uh, Kirk and Spock crew. I know. I know these people show up later in the series, and, they, and Kirk shows up for generations. But this is the, this is the last of the traditional Star Trek movies, and it was awesome. It was a great way to end the franchise. And you know, you know, and you wonder did, did the producers and the writers figure out that they had pissed off an entire legion of Star Trek fans with the fifth movie? You know, there are points where because I, I can be a little harsh on the movie industry, where I think sometimes they don't they're not completely tone deaf. And they they listen to the fans and they go, okay, we can we can we can get ourselves out of this hole. Now that's not always the case, but it happened with Star Trek. That was that that you know that for at least that period of time they they would go up and down again later. But um, you know you would hope this. I would hope to think that the amount of complaining that uh, Paranormal Activity three and four generated, they figured out that they need to fi- they they need to write the ship. One can only hope so. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, I think um I think that's that. You know, the the paranormal activities for a non horror fan such as myself were an interesting experience. Um I definitely can see why people like these movies. I appreciated them for what they were, good, bad or indifferent. Um I beg of you, Sean, please don't make me watch any more horror movies. Um you know what? After this one, I think that for the most part, yes, I think I am going to Set aside any further designs I have on continuing to suggest horror franchises. Um, <laughs> I, I think we've kind of established what your threshold is, and I'm kind of imagining what's in some of the other franchises that I otherwise would want to do. And I really think that they would be they would be off-putting to the point of being genuinely unpleasant, really being a chore for you. So, yeah. Um, Sorry, guys. I know that some of you who know me privately would love to hear me rant on the Hellraiser sequels, but it's not going to happen. I just no, not, I, on this, not in this form, at least. Hey, if you ever want to do it, I'll do one with you. I'll say I'll offer that right now. If you ever want to do an independent or a different, slightly different podcast, and you want to go through the various Hellraiser movies, I will come on and I will do it with you. Oh well, well, thank you. In that case, you know, I'll keep that in mind in case. Mark ever needs a break or something while he's training for his various races. Um, you know, I Mark, maybe we can work something out to where you can kind of let me helm things and Robert and I can dissect a couple of franchises ourselves that way. Um, I would Absolutely. also throw in... I would also throw in, just as a brief sidebar, and I say this as your friend, knowing that you're a father of a lovely little daughter... Please don't get curious enough to watch Megan is Missing. I don't <laughs> yeah. say that. Oh, it's yeah. I did movie. not meet. Yeah, no, 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 uh, no, no. That is not. It, it is about nine tenths laughably badly acted, but then you get to about the last 15 minutes, and it is unsettling, is a grave understatement. <laughs> um, it. Um, it, it, it gets too grim for words. Um, I actually kind of 
at that point. I, I've never turned around on a movie so quickly from being mildly amused to the after-school special acting to all of a sudden being thrown into an outtake from Hostel that was actually yeah. a, a little... No, I, I'm not kidding. It was like a little too real to even be engaging in a horror movie kind of way. So, I mean, just just take mine and Robert's word on it and just steer clear of that one. Fair enough. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about what we're going to do, what we are going to do instead of what we aren't going to do. And by, and, and by the way, I'm more than willing to um, go ahead and share the stage here. If you guys want to do a, a separate thing on my account on a horror movie, you know, we can work it out, and that's perfectly fine with me. You know, and, and, and let me say this also. I'm not above... Uh, being a part of the discussion, sort of asking questions and doing the research, I just don't want to have to watch them. <laughs> I really don't. I don't. Okay, like well, being, I don't like watching people be mutilated. I, I, you know, it's it's kind of we went through this experience, and and you, you know, and I think I was able to speak rather eloquently about the horror franchise. I don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but we are. But what I do need to do is bask in the glory that is Selma Hayek. What I do need to do. Is and what we need to do on the long road to ruin, coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, the date being the twenty sixth. Did I say? I believe you did say the twenty sixth. Yeah, because on the fifth we're doing the Star Wars podcast. Maybe, kind of, sort of. That's a, the, okay. So let me let me go over the calendar with people. Now, actually, what I, what I think I said was we were coming back. No, you're you're right. The nineteenth is when I when I said I wanted to do this. So okay. Possibly uh, on the fifth of March, if I can get my friend to do it, we will be having the great debate: which was the better movie, Return of the Jedi or Revenge of the Sith? This involves another friend of mine to do kind of a one-off. It's an ongoing debate we've had since we saw Revenge of the Sith. I'm not going to give away who thinks what, though. If you follow me on Facebook, you already know the answer. So if he's available, then we'll do that on the 5th. If not, we'll have to reschedule that for a time down the line. So someday in the near future, we will be doing a debate uh, moderated by Sean of which is better, Revenge of the Sith or Return of the Jedi. On the 19th, I wanted to do it when I got back from vacation. On the 19th, we will be reviewing on the long road to ruin the Mariachi Trilogy. Yes, Robert Rodriguez, El Mariachi, Desperado, and Once Upon a Time in Johnny Depp. It'll be fantastic. (laughs) Oh, God, am I excited for this. Robert Rodriguez is, depending on what day you ask me who my favorite director is, it would probably be either Robert Rodriguez or Kevin Smith. Well, Um, I I have such a fetish for the Latino culture, which is weird because I actually hate Alberto Del Rio, the character, the wrestler, the, the gimmick, everything. I just <laughs> it just rubs me the wrong way. But um, I, I I I love the Latino culture, and when I very in the very first time I saw uh, Desperado, and then I found out there was a prequel to it of sorts, El Mariachi. I'm like, these are the greatest movies ever, and that's because I completely fetishize Latino culture. Just loved everything about them. So uh, the next podcast, I gush over. The Mariachi trilogy, uh, how how simple and great it starts, and how it blows up by the end. <laughs> and I solely blame Johnny Depp, but we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. Robert, it no, is no, 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 ab- don't blame Johnny Depp. Blame Eva Mendez because she's in that one too, and she's just awful. <laughs> we'll he's in there for all that. of like three scenes. I'm just terrible. saying, blame her. You can, if Eva Mendez is involved, 
and it's bad, it's her fault. Doesn't matter who else you can obviously blame. Always blame Eva Mendes. <laughs> Robert, it is an absolute joy having you on the podcast. I look forward to you uh, having you on, whether or not I see the movies we talk about or not. I, 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 you, I, you have great insight, and uh, I'm glad we were able to have you on the show. Um, you can listen to Robert uh, this past Sunday, as I accidentally call him Sam Riccati, uh on the forum on Ground and Pat. I wrote your number down this time. So from now on, when you, Sean, Pat, or anybody else who's called in the last two shows calls me, I actually have your numbers written down, so I don't do that anymore. And at least if I see a new number, I don't go, oh, it's Schmageggy. But uh, Robert lended his um, genius to our Sunday show, the 401 Ground and Pound Radio, where we broke down UFC 157, and we previewed uh, UFC on Fuel 8, and that's up on 401mania.com in the MMA Zone. You can also check out his column, Locked in the Guillotine, on Fridays. Um, Robert, you want to plug anything else going on in the column this week? Um, I have that. I have that. I have news. No real news has come out. I am also in the MMA version of Fact or Fiction this week. I am beating up Todd Vote, so please show up and vote for me there. I fully anticipate a landslide victory, but that's also just me. <laughs> I don't think I have anything. I was worried you'd gone, you'd gone MIA. I don't think I have anything else really coming up this week. I also want to thank you guys for taking a chance and having me on here because it's really been fun and. Whether it's horror or maybe some other genres, if you guys ever feel like you want a third voice, hit me up. I'm more than willing to contribute if I feel I can do so in a beneficial manner. No problem, man. Sean, you have a million and one things to do. Hit it. Okay, I'm Sean. You're not. Never dull your colors for someone else's canvas. Uh, Of course, as you know, every single week you can catch me late Sunday night or Monday morning, depending on whether you're a night owl or not being the ringmaster of music's three R's, the column that is trying to single-handedly bring Dr. Johnny Fever back to cultural relevance. Um, never know what it is that I'm going to throw, throw in there. Also this week, I am going to be making my music factor fiction review. Um, debut, uh, moderated by Joseph Lee. I've got to actually get my answers written for that. Um, I forget who it is that I'm going to be, that I'm going to be running up against. So by all means, get in there and, uh, give me them votes. Uh, I would certainly love to have a nice, have a nice showing on my first time out. Otherwise, just Keep an eye out every other Tuesday right here for Long Road to Ruin. Oh, and more than likely this week, um, it's not going to be live, but with Jeremy Lambert, I'm going to be recording a new Bad Movie Review Club. It is what I consider our first ever BMRC Hall of Famer, Tommy Wiseau's magnum opus, The Room. Um, I'm going to be moderating a review in which we try, we do our damnedest to do justice to the reviews that have already been done by the likes of Doug Walker and uh, my good and wonderful, generous acquaintance, Allison Pregler, over on That Guy with the Glasses. Um, but the fun of this is Jeremy's never seen it. So I am introducing somebody who's <laughs> new to this movie. Jeremy hasn't yeah. seen it yet? No. Well, well, oh, no, he's, my God. Like, well, no, he's watched it by now. But when I suggested it, no, he had never seen it. Oh, um, I, I'm going to have to listen to that just to get his reaction to it. Um, we, uh, I have not seen the room yet either. You guys, you guys have been talking about this movie for a while, and some of the movies you guys do on this 
Bad Movie Review Club I get into, and even if like 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 Sand Sharks, I, I didn't feel the need to watch that even with Brooke Hogan in it, but uh, I love listening to the podcast. You guys have been talking well, about The Room now, and I'm like on the fence about whether or not I want to watch this thing. Well, well Mark, uh, here's the thing. The, the movies we've done so far have been willful B-movie schlock. They've been movies that just are what they are, creature features, weird science fiction, uh, sci-fi channel fare, that kind of thing. No, this is a movie where someone actually put in honest-to-God effort and the result was a hilarious midnight movie modern classic. Tommy Wiseau has taken this movie on tour. The only catch is Tommy likes to try to claim it's a comedy and that no. he meant to make it this bad. Um, the likes of Greg Sestero and the rest of his cast have publicly come forward and say, oh, like hell, no, this was Tommy trying. Um... um this, this movie was one makes Yui Ball's stuff look watchable. And I'm not just oh, talking yeah. about Rampage. Oh, I actually yeah. like that one. But yeah. Yeah, this, is, this is Ed Wood bad. I mean, Ooh, Ed, that's Ed Wood my kind of bad. Ed Wood would be insulted to have his name referenced with this movie. It is so... <laughs> well, but, but the other funny thing about it is this is a movie that has developed a reputation online for the fact that Tommy Wiseau will go after anybody's fair use rights that tries to do a video review of it. Um, he, um, he got it temporarily yanked. He got uh, Doug Walker's Nostalgia Critic review temporarily yanked off that guy with the glasses because he was claiming that, they, that he used too many clips of the movie, that it was like giving the movie away for free, and that it diminished the value of it. Now, of course... Um, Doug and the good folk over at Channel Awesome uh, are, are savvying up with this by now. They've been doing this for more than four for more than four years. That they got it put right back up there. I don't recall if Allison's Obscure Lupa Presents review got pulled or not. Um, but um, it, it has be, it has become a little geek culture phenomenon all its own, and that. That alone is going to be fun to try to explain to Jeremy because he's he's kind of outside that group. Um, I, I am kind of the envoy of the geeks on our podcast, so he yeah I he has graciously agreed to let me kind of kind of have the reins and guide this review. Um, I would we're hoping to get if it you done need this. another frame of reference. I would despite how short of time it's been out. I would mm-hmm. rank this with Plan 9 from Outer Space and Mano's Hands of Fate. It is that yes. just horrible. Oh, oh absolutely. The, that, that is a totally apropos reference. I never uh, thought you could get worse than those. I, I Honestly, I mean, I saw Plan 9, and then I saw the Mystery Science Theater 3000 running of it, and I never thought those guys would make a movie better. I feel so bad for Bella Lugosi. That what that is the room supposed to be? Is it supposed to be a horror movie? No. <laughs> It's supposed no, to get it's not. It's supposed to be a drama, and it's this bad? Yes. Is this thing on Netflix? Not yet. No. Oh, you're <laughs> killing me. Well, well, no, actually, you could probably DVD it from Netflix. Okay. I'd have to double-check, but that, you know, yeah, it's... Words it's, alone it's, don't do it justice until you've seen it. 
Once you've seen oh, it, it, the words make sense. But at, until then, it's just a glorious, you know awful enigma. I remember the first time I ever watched this, and actually, I was kind of of the same mind as Mark here, because by this point, I had seen the That Guy with the Glasses reviews, and um, uh, I had been I had been talking with uh, my good friend Scarlett, and she is a huge fan of this movie. I mean, she can quote a chapter and verse. Um, she has got she's got a Tommy Wiseau signed the room poster. She has seen the a live screening of it. I kind of envy her for that. Um, but she actually told me she said no. The reviews don't do it justice at all. You really have to see the whole thing. God, how right she was. <laughs> um, I'm. It seems like in the. Gee, Scarlett was right. Seems like in the two years I've known her, I've said that an awful lot. Um, but um, it really is something that's best watched with somebody else, though. Especially somebody else who can really live riff a movie. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is good for this is good for heckling. Oh hell yes, dude! Oh, heckling was ma- up until this point in history. Heckling had not been used properly. <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah, you know, this, you, this, you guys, I, do you, now you play the movie as you do the podcast, right? What you say? You play the movie as you do the podcast, don't you? Sean? No, no, no. We've no, we've by the time we get to the podcast, we've both already watched it. Um in fact that was why um in fact yeah, when we did Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie, I remember a tweet from Jeremy um basically saying that he absolutely hated me. No, I know that the, I know that you pre watched them, but don't, don't doesn't he run run it again as he's doing the podcast in case he forgets something? I'm, um, I'm asking this because no. it would almost be funny if he hadn't watched the movie yet, and you've watched it, and I don't know time-wise if this would be doable, but if you guys just literally reacted to the, or at least he did, just reacts to the movie as you guys are doing the podcast. You know, if we don't get to do it this week, I may suggest that to him. Um, that would be awesome. Because, you know, like, we, we could always just do two episodes for March. Um, I mean, we had to put this off because I got backed up for work, and now we're trying to get it in this week. Um, in March, I really want to do Bones. Um, but, man, I would be willing to put that off to do this. I should really run that idea by him um, and see if he'd be up. Because I know that he and Samer have, like, live rift heavyweight MMA fights. Sure, but those go. But those are either thirty seconds or fifteen minutes. This is a, what a two-hour movie. Ninety minutes. Oh okay. uh, yeah, that's yeah. It, it's one of those bear running types of things. It's only ninety, it, and uh, never mind. Oh yeah, I'm not going to say anything about what could be cut out of it. Well, l- then I would tell you if he's willing to do it, um, and, and you can figure out a way to make it fun radio. Yeah, he yeah. needs to just do live reactions to this movie. I may have to suggest that. I, I may have to run that idea by him. And if we don't do it for this one, I mean, there's got to be others we can do it for. Um, but, dear God, I'm just thinking of his live reaction to the acting in the flower shop scene. Okay. <laughs> this has got to be the one of the longest outros of a podcast I've ever done. <laughs> hey, folks, you're getting your downloads worth. You're getting lots of bonus content. Yes, this is your Easter egg, everybody. 
All right, so that's the um, that's what's going on uh, this this Saturday night. I'll be doing live coverage of uh, UFC on Fuel Eight, Stan versus Wanderlei Silva. I promise this time, no offensive pictures because apparently it pissed people off last week. Who didn't get oh, the no, joke? Oh, you pissed off people on the internet. Whatever will you do? Yeah, I, just, my, I had to tell my wife. Well, I'm like, you know, I, like I don't know. People. Re, re, anonymous people think I'm a sexist pig, Melissa. What am I supposed to do? And she said, either stop using the computer or get over it. Those are your choices. Well, besides, you would have said they just don't know you, and they don't even know you yet. <laughs> um. All right, so uh, fifth is kind of up in the air, but hopefully it'll be the Star Wars podcast. Nothing going on for the 12th. Uh, the 19th, we come back, we do the El Mariachi trilogy. And then on the 26th, uh, Robert Cooper and I will either be doing a – we'll either be reviewing the new Clutch album or we'll be doing a career retrospective of Clutch and then doing the new Clutch album. Um, everything got thrown off because I forgot I was going on a cruise the week of uh, GSP and Nick Diaz. Who forgets um, that? Say what? Who forgets that? I didn't forget that I was going on a cruise, per se. I forgot when like, when I was planning all these podcasts, because I have to plan, you know, I alternate this with the music review with Robert, and, you know, we plan those out pretty far in advance, too. So, I, so I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, we'll do this here, we'll do this here, and I completely forgot that there was going to be a lost week because I wasn't going to be home. And then I realized that one, after the fact, and that's where I had to send out all these messages going, sorry, folks, I fucked up, I don't remember when I was going on my cruise. But it's not like I forgot I was going on a cruise. I just didn't realize it was coming up so soon when I was doing all this planning. Kiddos, remember that question I asked earlier in the podcast about who misplaces a human baby? I asked the question, the universe answers it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I have never misplaced my daughter, okay? My daughter, exponentially more important than the date of a cruise. I'll tell you that right now. You know what? This, is, this is reminding me of one of my favorite Calvin and Hobbes comics, where <laughs> Calvin has snuck out of the house and gotten to a payphone and called his folks, and his dad answers the phone. <laughs> Calvin just says, it's 2 a.m., do you know where I am? <laughs> I remember that one. That one's awesome. All right, so I think um, in the month, uh, so that's that's kind of March. That's the way this all breaks down. Uh, coming up in April, we owe a lot of people on the four hundred one staff a podcast. You know, um, people have been haunting us. No pun intended to do uh, different movie franchises. So I know Lambert wants to do Transformers. We owe him that one. Um, Cotty, and I've been chomping at the bit to do uh, the Burton slash Joel Schumacher Batmans. We do Batman. Stuart Lang wants to do Lethal Weapon. Um, what's his face? Uh, Pat Mullen wants to do the uh, the Bronson movies. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. Death Wish. Yeah. Death Wish. I, uh, I, I wish we could have timed it a little bit better because with the new Die Hard that came out, I um I I actually wanted to go back and do the Die Hard movies because apparently this last one, according to Jeff Harris, was just absolute shite. I am He's dying not the to only do the one new who th thinks that. No, you, you, you know what? You know what? I'm planning ahead. You know when we're gonna do Die Hard? After six. Ah, um, you know what, guys? Everybody out there, coming Christmas 2013. <laughs> That's going to be our Christmas gift. 
to you. We are going to do a two, maybe three-part retrospective on the Die Hard series. Hey, you do know that the first Die Hard is not only the best action movie ever, it is probably the best Christmas movie ever. This is true. Or, and thank you for saying that, Robert, because now I can add that to the Christmas movie. You know, because when you have a kid, the Christmas movie watch list, you know, you got Mickey Mouse on there. I think this year I, I had the Looney Tunes Christmas. And, you know, you have to you have to add all these, you know, uh, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, We're Not Birds, We're a Jug Band. You know, you got to watch all those because um, you got the kid there and you can't, you know, you got to accommodate the child. But um, I don't see why my daughter can't watch Die Hard, it being a Christmas movie. And that's the perfect argument to use with my family. You know what? Yeah. My di- my Christmas movie list is three movies long: A Christmas Story, Gremlins, and Die Hard. I need nothing else. You need Perfect. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. What I'll wait until I have Otter's. Wait, what was that, Sean? What the fuck is an Emmett Otter? You don't know Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas? We're not birds. We're a jug band. I don't have crumb snatchers of my own. Okay, are you 12? Jesus Christ, this this was a Muppets Christmas movie that came out when I was a child, and I'm not that much older than you. I don't, I genuinely have never seen this movie. When we're oh. done with this, you need to go Google it, okay? And don't you don't have to watch the whole thing. Just, just, just for the love of God, just Google barbecue and Emmett Otter's Drug Band Christmas. You'll thank me later. <laughs> Oh, Mark, I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I Google barbecue and otter in the same search. (laughs) Emmett Otter, Emmett Otter, see? If you do barbecue otter, you get something completely different. They'll take you to thisiswhyyoufat.com. Now listen, you want Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, comma, barbecue. Oh, God, you know what? Actually, a horrifying possibility just occurred to me. And I, I blame I blame the autofill option on Google for this. Um... Two weeks back on Music's Three R's, I um, I had to include the story about, and it makes my blood boil just thinking about this, about um, the family of Emmett Till actually demanding an apology from Little Wayne for a grossly inappropriate use of um, Emmett's name in one of his lyrics. I now have the image flashing through my head of barbecue, Emmett, and then just accidentally right as I'm hitting enter, Google deciding to fill in till. (laughs) Now listen, let's go back to Muppets, away from Little Wayne, because apparently when you listen to Little Wayne music, you're an idiot. Away from Little Wayne and more towards the Muppets, intellectually superior. Muppets to Little Wayne. Let me say this about Little Wayne: he is his music and the idiocy of the people who listen to it is not a chicken or egg. It's not which comes first. <laughs> they feed each other. This, this is, is a true. symbiotic relationship between him and his music and the idiocy of America. Yeah. Well, I mean, I look. Most idiots uh, I, I, are, most I, I, idiots don't appreciate Beethoven, so I mean it fits. You know, I mean when you when, when you when you barely have enough chromosomes uh, to rub together to toast bread, you're you're going to appreciate music that was meant for slugs. I I hereby, by the power vested in me by me, dub this the absolute best podcast overrun ever. We are never going to top this. <laughs> okay. Quite possible. <laughs> so that, 
having said that before this pen goes any further. Yeah, Emmett Otter Struck Band Christmas. Go watch. Robert, thank you for joining us. We'll bring you on again to do more horror shows. I promise, even if I won't watch them, I'll just sit and listen to you guys tell me how great they are and how gross they are. Uh, Sean, I will get with Tom. We'll figure out what we're doing about Star Wars. If not, then I will talk to you in a couple of weeks for the El Mariachi. I am the Mandated Reporter. This is The Long Road to Ruin. Be well, be safe, and behave.